In Exodus 33, we find Moses. Moses has been up in the, in the Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. And in chapter 32, uh, when he comes down from the mountain, there's this golden calf that his brother crafted. And the people are worshiping this and calling it the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then those that participated in that, uh, a number of them in thir chapter 32 were killed. And here's Moses. He's gotten the law. They've agreed to abide by the law, but yet before 40 days is out, as we mentioned in our class, they've broken it. And his own brother, as I mentioned, crafted this thing. And so I feel a little sympathy for Moses personally, if you will. But look at verses 18 through 23. Deuteronomy, I mean Exodus 18, Exodus 33, 18 through 23. I get it right. And he said, please show me your glory. Then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me, shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put my hand in the, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In verse 13 of this chapter, Moses says, now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. God didn't want to carry them any further from where he was. And so Moses needed something to my way of thinking. Moses, in verse 18, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. Moses needed to see the Lord, it seems to me. And so in Exodus chapter 34, let's just start in verse 1 and read. Exodus 34. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like my, the first ones, and I will write on the ta those tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up to the, uh, in the morning, to Mount Sinai, Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flock nor herds feed before the mountain. So I shall cut two tablets of stone. So he shall cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses uh, rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, for, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So God, in revealing his glory, said uh, he's merciful and gracious, he's long-suffering, he's abounding in goodness and truth, he's keeping mercy for thousands, he's forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but he doesn't hold the the guilty guiltless. There, you, there we are. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins. Those three words cover all of it. He'll forgive all those. So the revelation of God, though, is a revelation of what he does. That's the way we can understand God. By what he does. And when we look at how he was and what he did and how he sustained Israel for 40 years, In a wilderness environment, think about it, 40 years, all of this multitude of people and all their flocks and herds, cattle, and he keeps them. And he lets them live in this desert. Moses needed to see something of God. He says, this is me. This is God. And so he tells about himself by what he does. With that being said, I, the last time I did this, I ended with talking about these few verses here, Exodus 1, verses 3 through 14. And I want us to turn there again because I didn't go into them at all. But I would like for us to look at a few things. <clears throat> Not going to go into depth, but um, just see some things that would might cause us to praise him, uh, praise his glory. Let's just begin in verse 1. We might as well. It says, Paul and Apostle, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made known, uh, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the, disp- that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. As I said, we're going to talk about some of these things, but not all of these things because it couldn't be done in, in a timely manner. It's interesting, though, but this is written to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ, you saints. I read that and I think holy because that's indeed what it is, sanctified, set apart for God, set apart for him because of what he's done for us. And so what he tells us is that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. And he's going to enumerate some of those blessings here in these few verses. And he says that just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blemish before him in love. That bef before the foundation of the world this was all planned out that this is not something that was not foreseen that God just didn't know what was going to happen and that there would have been no need until all of a sudden men rejected him no this was how it was going to be because of who he is he knows all things so it's before the foundation of the world and there are many who would question the workings of history, that this is just some things happen in history just to um, just for no reason. And of course, we know, you and I both know that that's not so, that this is all working out God's plan throughout the years. In Daniel chapter two, a fascinating book, actually, Daniel chapter two. In verses 44 and 45, Daniel 2, verses 44 and 45. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. Daniel, through the working of God, is going to translate it for him or interpret it for him. In verse 44, it says, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. You remember the idol, the statue that uh, of the different metals, precious metals, some of them, that uh, was standing there. And God says, in the days of these kings, what's going to happen? The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. 
So it's not something that God didn't know. It is something that he did know, and he's planning all this. I always thought it fascinating when Daniel uh, tells Nebuchadnezzar, the great God is made known to the king, what will, what will come to pass after this? Why was it so important for Nebuchadnezzar to know? I don't know. Maybe it was important for Daniel to know. But um, I always thought that was interesting. And look in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. There's a vision, and Gabriel is interpreting this vision. And I'm not going to get into the whole vision as we didn't get into the statue a few minutes ago. But in verse 20, it says, The ram which you saw having the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, the large horn that is between its eyes, is the third king, is the first king, I'm sorry. So in this vision that Gabriel is interpreting or telling Daniel what, what, what's happening, he talks about the Medes and the Persians, that this represents them. And then after them is Greece. So the, what happens in the world, what has happened, is not just some accident that he didn't know about. I don't know, I can't read what all history, the happenings, the, the, the wild, the things happening that have happened. But God knows. I don't know why World War II and World War I happened other than greed. That's all I can think of. But they did indeed happen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. He wants us to be holy. Under any circumstances, whatever happens in the world, we're supposed to be holy. That, that's my job, to live in this world in a holy fashion. Because that's what he wants. He, this book of Ephesians, as I mentioned, is written to the saints, the holy ones who are in Ephesus. And in Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That my character, the way I live, should exude holiness. That that's what he's looking for. Holy and without blame before him in love. And those who are holy and without blame before him, they are adopted as sons. In, back in Ephesians chapter 1, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That, as I mentioned, those that would be enjoy the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, that would be holy and without blame, are then adopted into a family. We, know, we understand about adoption. And in Ephesus, being a 
shall I say, a Roman colony or, or under the influence of Rome, at least that. They would have understand, understood what adoption in those days meant as well. That whoever is this child, this son, let's just use the son, is adopted. That he would have all the rights and privileges of someone who was born of the family. Of an offspring, by natural offspring. He's going to have all of that right and privilege. He's under the complete control of his father. And from what I read, that anything the son would have owned would have still been at the pleasure of the father. He would have gotten it because of the father, but it's still the father's. And the father under the uh, in Roman influence, again, so I've read, would be complete charge. He could make his son a slave if he wanted to. He could make him just work menial labor instead of being a slave if he wanted to. He could kill his son if he needed to. All lawful for him, according to what I've read. But for us to be adopted as sons, we would have the privileges, the blessings, maybe is a better word, of being in that family, the family of God. We have those blessings. We're under his control. We have given up our will and we submit to his will. And therefore, we do what he says because of who he is. And those who are adopted as sons, it says, are accepted in the beloved. That accepted is interesting, actually. It would be he showed kindness to us in his, in his beloved son. He showed favor toward us in his son. He's adopted us into his family and showed us that favor in his son. That the one uh, that was graciousness on the part of the one that's showing the kindness, that he did this because of who he is. He's, we, we looked a while ago, he's gracious and merciful uh, from what we saw in um, Ephesians chapter 33. He's gracious and merciful, and so he is in that he's made us accepted in the beloved. If you look at Luke 1, verses 20, verse 28, Luke 1, verse 28, we may have an idea. Luke 1, verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And so God has showed some favor toward Mary. And uh, that's what he does toward us. He had, we're accepted uh, in the beloved. He's given us that favor through him. Through Jesus, our son, and uh, his son. And a number of times already we've seen that these favors are in Christ. 
in Galatians, verses we all know, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. For it says, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What happens? What, what, what happens in baptism? You're baptized into Christ. As a result of that, you put on Christ. One of the translations, New American Standard, I'm not sure, says you have clothed yourself with Christ. That's where the favor comes in as well. That's where the spiritual blessings are as well. Because when we are uh, baptized into Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You've been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death so that we can be holy, so that we can be blameless, so that we can be above reproach in God's sight. Being redeemed is one of those words that would be buying back a slave or buying um, a prisoner that had been captured. You, you give them money. You redeem those. We used to have a redemption store for stamps here. You collected these stamps. You redeemed those stamps. You got something for those stamps. Redemption, Jesus buys us back. God buys us back from sin. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Ephesians 5, verse 2, it says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself the, uh, for us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. I sometimes think I need new glasses. But anyway, we, um, he has given himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. He's redeemed us, given himself for us as a sweet smelling savior, savor, aroma. Interesting. I always in, like reading that when the sacrifices were offered, it was a soothing aroma offered up to the Lord. Jesus' sacrifice is just that. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That sweet smelling aroma that uh, turns away wrath. It turns away God's wrath that we deserve. But because of his goodness and his mercy, he's given us the blood of his son to take away our sins that we might not face the wrath which we justly deserved. We don't want justice from God. If we did get justice from God, we wouldn't be here right now probably. We'd be gone. 
but we want mercy and he's given it to us because he's a merciful God. In Ephesians chapter one, <coughs> excuse me, one of the after effects of my cold. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. You know, it's not like a Earl Stanley Gardner, Perry Mason book or TV show we might read in where the, uh, it's just uh, something that's just not that important really in a TV show. It's not that kind of mystery that we're talking about. It's not something mysterious that we cannot understand, I might add. But it's not also not a mystery novel. But what we do have is a revealing of God's plan that had once been hidden. That he just hadn't revealed how he was going to work things out. But he did reveal it. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Says how that how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the. <laughs> the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. That this mystery that, is, that was unknown that has now been revealed is what? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. The Gentiles would be grafted in. They're, they're adopted as sons. That's us. We're, we've been accepted because of our willingness to submit to him. We have those spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. <coughs> By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. We can understand his will and what he wants for us and what he wants of us by reading. And we can understand it. Well, those who are adopted as sons are accepted in the beloved, have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, obtain an inheritance. From Ephesians chapter 1, we obtain an inheritance. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, it says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Every time I read that verse, not Sometimes, but every time I read that verse, I think of Sid Latham because I remember him preaching when he was here 20 years ago. And he, he read that verse and he says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And he's exactly right. It's always new. That this inheritance of ours will never deteriorate. It's always new. And it's reserved for us in heaven, and it's undefiled. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse two, 12, 
It says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the, re- the reward of the inheritance for you serve the living God. I also think of Paul when he's ready to go. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's just turn over there. I was going to read one verse. But let's just look, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read six verses, three verses, beginning in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, Paul, he lived a hard life. He said, I fought the good fight. Everything he did, consciously, it seems, in the, in, in, even though he was wrong previously, everything he did, he did it with a good conscience because he was serving God. Now, he wasn't always serving God right, and that's when Jesus intervened. And then after that, he was taught the truth, and he was baptized. And then he, the complete transformation of him, and he's changed and he starts teaching the things about the things that he tried to destroy. And he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He did everything he could to build up what he tried to destroy. And he says, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, but not to me only. He's going to give it to others, to all who have loved his appearing. He's not restricting. God is, God's heaven can take all of us. We won't fill it up. But he's also selective in that it's those who will submit to him and do his will. All who have loved his appearing. All who have been adopted as sons accepted in the blood and who have received their forgiveness of sin, they'll retain, will retain or obtain an inheritance. And this has all been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians, going back to Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 13, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in, which, in whom also, you, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He sealed it with the Holy Spirit of promise. That seal is to make a mark for identity. We understand, uh, maybe we don't understand. I take it for granted. I'm sure you do, though. The, the ring, the signet ring, would be pressed in, in wax or something, and that makes an impression, and that's what happens. You belong to someone, if that's the case, in God's case. Establishes ownership. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He understands his people, 
And he understands that those that are his depart from iniquity. That they don't live in it. They don't continue to abide in sin. They just don't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. My, my apologies. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <coughs> verses 20 through 22. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you is Christ and has announced and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The spirit is given to us as a guarantee, as a down payment, if you will or the earnest money for all that Jesus has done for us. God's done for us. And so all of this is done to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Praise for what the Father has done for us in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 of Ephesians. What the Son has done in verses 7 through 12. And what the Holy Spirit has done in verses 13 and 14. But I want to go back to, a, we looked at a verse a few minutes ago, or we read a verse anyway, but I want to look at it. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. All, all the sons of God through faith were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. But what if you weren't baptized into Christ? What if you weren't? Have you put on Christ? No, not if you weren't baptized into him. Are you a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus if you haven't been baptized into him? No, it's just not. So if you need to, Respond to the call of the gospel and be baptized into Christ. Have the sins washed away. Be adopted as a son. Receive all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Why don't you do that while we stand and wait a bit. Before we do that, let me, let's look at 160. Number 160. Sorry. I don't want to look at this. We've, I've done this before. But there's something about this verse, this song. Look in verse 3. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. That's, that's us. Guilty, vile, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement? Can it be? The sentiment here is like, <laughs> I just can't believe it. That we can have full forgiveness of all sins in Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Why don't you come while we stand and sing? <laughs>